Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.15 a.m. Central Daylight Time, October the 2nd, 2019. This is 145th episode of Bitcoin And. So I don't know if any of you other guys out there are using TweetDeck. Uh, if you are, then you've probably noticed that TweetDeck just, I don't know, took a giant dump last night sometime, and it is freaking out. So this may be a slightly shorter show because I use TweetDeck to set up the show. And I've got it pretty much, you know, I think I've got it pretty much you know, laid out, but dude, looking at TweetDeck right now is like, it's almost causing me an epileptic seizure because it's got this, for some reason, when it goes through, this isn't the first time this has happened. When it's gone through this before, there's a bar at the top of the browser that switches between like hot pink, that is the warning, and then like this grayed out thing saying that you're no longer have permission to access like whatever, like linked account or your main account, um, you will be logged out. And then it's like got an X and, you know, to, to X out of it and you never can close it. It just pops right back up and switches between this hot pink and this gray. And it's just like this flashing light. So it's really, it's really annoying. And I'm hoping that they get this thing fixed up. Now, last night it wasn't even functional. It just it just take you right. It would just take you right to mobile.twitter.com, and so they got that fixed up. But apparently, there's still some weirdness going on with it. So, you know, be aware. All righty, Lolly apparently has dragged Priceline into their cadre of vendors. <laughs> I got a uh, uh, at P Dub. L22, or it might be I2, uh, capital I22. It's hard to tell with the, with the font that Twitter uses. Tweeted out a, um, a, a pic of Lolly's, you know, uh, like when he bought something at Priceline. It says, congrats, your recent purchase at Priceline just earned you an estimated, and then, you know, some amount of Satoshis. So Priceline's a big deal, man. And again, it's like you have to be – to catch all this as it comes down the pike, you would literally have to be glued to Twitter or like just the news like 24 seven. And that's not healthy. All right. So, yeah. So, but the problem is, is that I completely missed that Lolly snagged a massive, massive vendor. That's good news, man. That's really good news. Also good news is fold app at fold underscore app fold app. Their beta is now live, so if you've signed up for it um, and you're still waiting uh, in the list, um, then maybe you'll maybe everybody's already been cleared through the list. I don't know, but I got mine a couple of days ago, and uh, it's obviously it's in beta, so you got to go to the uh, iTunes or the App Store for Apple because I use iOS and get an app called test flight, which is apparently Apple's, you know, way of sub subcategorizing things that are in beta. And then when you redeem the code that they give you, it, it lets you download the actual fold app, which is really cool because now you can just do everything th- that you could do with, um, fold on your browser. You can do it directly through an app on your phone, which makes it so much easier to navigate. And, They've added the feature where you can just link a credit card or maybe just a credit card, maybe a credit or debit card. Not sure. Um, I haven't had, I've looked at it. I looked at it last night, but haven't really gotten a chance to, to do anything with it, but you can link, you know, your, your credit card at least and, um, get fiat driven right into your, uh, fold app and then 
you can either pay with fiat or you can convert it into lightning or you can do a, I think you can also do a main chain transaction. So you have like any manner of ways to get sats, you know, basically get sats back on purchases through places like Best Buy. Let's see what they got on their list so far. It's amazon.com, which is huge. They're offering 4% back. AMC movie theaters, which is up to 5%. Best Buy is up to 3%. Burger King, 5%. Dunkin' Donuts has offered a generous 10 or 10% back. The Home Depot is on there with three. Hotels.com is on there at six. And Macy's is on there at 10%. So the guys at Fold are doing some really good work. I like them almost as much as Lolly, but I only like Lolly better because they've been around a lot longer. We will see. And I think these two companies actually complement each other. I don't, I really don't think, and I've said it before, I think they're helping to grow the pie. And as they do that, more people will come in. And as more people come in, more people will start using the service. And it just, it kind of just feeds on itself. You know, there's a, there's this notion that, you know, when fast food first started coming up in the United States, that um, if another fast food restaurant moved into one that was already existing, you know, it was kind of viewed as, oh, well, that's that's bad. And, you know, and the same goes with restaurants, too. What happens is that the more you concentrate in one area a type of service, you know, like this is where you go to buy cars and this is where you go to go get fast food and whatnot like that. It actually grows the pie for all the vendors in that spot. Nobody actually, well, I'm sure that there are somebody that got hosed by that happening, but for the most part, what happens is that the pie just grows bigger. So the profits for each one of the companies that are there they just grow and they're not really eating each other's lunch, so to speak. So I kind of view this as the same way. And there's a, there's a couple of more apps out there that are like this, that I'm keeping my eye on. And I'm, I'm really excited about this, about this space. So let's get on into, okay, let's get on into the InnoSilicon news. Um, William Suberg is writing for Cointelegraph uh, yesterday, October the 1st. $10 $10 million mining farm fire takes blame as Bitcoin hash rate wobbles. Uh, yeah. Okay. Keep it, keep, you know, just uh, stay frosty as I'm reading this because we're going to come to something else at, at the end of it. The Bitcoin network experienced fresh turbulence on September the 30th while evidence emerged of a fire destroying $10 million worth of mining rigs, Right. According to Marshall Long, one of the first active Bitcoin mining, miners, mining company InnoSilicon's giant data center began burning on Monday. Details remain sparse, but a video appears showing the machines reportedly continuing to run despite being on fire. Dovey Wan, a founding partner at crypto asset holding company Primitive Ventures, added that the total worth of equipment involved circled around $10 million. <clears throat> at press time, InnoSilicon had not made any public comments, either officially or on social media. Commentators on social media were swift to air concerns that the blaze was to blame for a reported drop in Bitcoin's hash rate. On the day it occurred, estimates of network computing power involved in processing transactions dropped from 86 quintillion hashes. Just use exahashes, guys. From 86 exahashes per second to 82 exahashes per second. As previously noted, however, hash rate estimates provide only a limited view of Bitcoin's overall health. Last week, what appeared to be a 40% hash rate plunge later was widely ignored by technical graphs. As, as Cointelegraph reported previously, the rainy season in China's northwestern Sichuan province had spelled disaster for at least one more mining farm on, on August the 20th. And if you saw that video, you just basically saw an entire corner of a mining farm just get taken out by a wave of water and mud coming down a, coming down a mountainside. It was Quite the sight to behold. I'd be scared as shit to be there, though. The guy taking the video, you know, God bless him. Okay, so now I said stay frosty. Because in a silicon, as of uh, sometime this morning, has tweeted out in response to somebody's question as to whether that fire was in a silicon, they have stated that it has nothing to do with in a silicon. We will have to wait and see if it actually was or wasn't. But InnoSilicon's Twitter account is saying that that fire had not a damn thing to do with them. So be aware. You, you Be aware because people like Emin, you know, Gunsir, Sarir, or however you pronounce his name, is going to 
is going to FUD that. Okay. They're going to use that as FUD ammunition. It's hard to tell what the hell's going on until an official statement comes out from Inosilicon, which will probably be by the time I finish this show up. Uh, we don't really know what the hell happened. So there's, there's that just, you know, keep it in mind. Okay. This is another, it's not an app yet. This thing called give Bitcoin and you can find them at givebitcoin.io. Give Bitcoin is all one word has come onto the scene and I have signed up for it because I like, you know, signing up for these things so that, uh, so that I can get access to it so that I can look at it and tell you guys about it. The, there's not much, there's not much to, to say, or there's not much written about this yet from the give Bitcoin site, but it, it's interesting. Let me, let me take you through this. Give Bitcoin the thoughtful gift of better money. And then there's a button for sign up to be notified when we launch, refer others to get priority access. So watch me shill my ref code like, dude, so going to shill that ref code. Okay, so there's there's five bullet points here. Okay, one, giving the gift of Bitcoin, not just Bitcoins. Give Bitcoin is the best way to give Bitcoins to friends and family and help them learn and experience the world of Bitcoin. And they're correctly using capital, capital case or uppercase and lowercase Bitcoin for uppercase Bitcoin most normally talks about the whole network where Bitcoin was with a little B is the actual Bitcoin token, which you can subdivide into Satoshis Two, creating hodlers or hodlers, however you want to pronounce it. Create new hodlers by locking your give Bitcoin gifts for a set time period or a minimum price. Three, give and get Bitcoin. Want Bitcoin for your birthday or graduation? We also make it easy to ask friends and family for Bitcoin instead of cash. Four, and this is where it gets, this is where I'm really interested in in how this goes forward. Educating newcomers. Every gift made through Give Bitcoins comes with carefully crafted education and training so recipients become real Bitcoiners by the time their gift unlocks. That's interesting. Unpacking that, I'm hoping that they're going to unpack the living daylight out of that because this one is kind of, could be potentially interesting if they go the way that I think it's going to go. But let's do five first. We handle the legal. We handle all the paperwork, making sure your gift is 100% owned and controlled by the recipient. All right. You got, you got to, we got to keep that in mind too, because at one point or another, you know, this is going to be pseudo pseudo custodial, at least for a time being. Um, now, getting back to the educating newcomers. Every gift made through Give Bitcoin comes with a carefully crafted education and training. So recipients become real Bitcoiners by the time their gifts unlock. I want to know exactly what that means. If it's the following, this could be really, really cool. I could see a situation where I give, oh, I don't know, my sister, like, you know, I don't know, 0.2 Bitcoin and time lock it for like a year. And the only way that she can unlock it is, and and this is where, because if it's just time locked, sorry, it's, it's been raining out here and something's blown in on the wind and my allergies are just going freaking nuts. There's nothing I can do about it except swill some, some nasal spray. That's about all that, that I'm able to do right now. Um, if it re- is hundred percent dependent on time lock, then I guess by the time that it unlocks, it's just theirs. But what would be better is if somehow or another, that time lock was somehow or another extended by their not taking to online tutorials or something like that. See what I'm saying? Like I give my sister like, you know, point two Bitcoin. And the only way that she can unlock it after a year is she would have had to go through modules that describe what Bitcoin actually is. And hopefully their, you know, the descriptions would be more than adequate, like, you know, getting into Andreas Antonopoulos level descriptions of stuff and Pierre Rochard and the people that really know how this crap works, writing modules that you have to complete before that thing, you know, unlocks. And if it does, and if you don't complete before the time lock unlocks, then somehow or another it, the time lock extends. 
basically saying, until we feel that you fully understand what the hell you are doing, you don't get this Bitcoin. I think that that would be really cool. I think that would be one of the coolest things. And I'm hoping that that's what they're doing, but we won't know until give Bitcoin gives us the skinny on give Bitcoin. So there's that keep, keep give bit or keep an eye on give Bitcoin because if they do this right, going to be cool. What's not cool is Ethereum's Istanbul upgrade will break 680 smart contracts on Aragon. This is Coindesk Christian Kim writing September the 30th. A system-wide upgrade arrived on Ethereum's Ropsten test network on Monday, and while Istanbul should ultimately in- introduce network efficiencies, the test net launch won't be smooth sailing for everyone. For governance platform Argon in particular, the code changes were expected to break roughly 680 smart contracts, according to Aragon 1 CTO Jorge Izquidero. These smart contracts typically manage the governance of decentralized applications running on the Ethereum blockchain. Is Quidero's, well, hold on. Is Querdo, is Querdo. Yeah, I-Z-Q-U-I-E-R-D-O. Man, this is, sometimes it's just hard doing this. Is Querdo tells Coindesk, this means forced upgrades are required for the affected smart contracts in order to ensure decentralized autonomous organizations built on the Aragon platform continue to function smoothly. Quote, up until now, DAOs could receive ETH from one another. This will no longer be possible after the Istanbul, Istanbul hard fork. Our Aragon Aragon One communications lead, John Light, says these fund transfers between DAOs on Aragon would effectively, quote, run out of gas. Calling it an unfortunate trade-off from Aragon's point of view, Isquerdo said, quote, The issue we're going to have hasn't been deemed important enough for this hard fork not to happen, which from our point of view is unfortunate, but it's a hard balance we understand, end quote. Indeed, the Ethereum token swap platform Kyber Network, the system-wide upgrade, only affects a single smart contract, according to Kyber Network co-founder Loi Lu. Stepping back, the code change in Istanbul affecting certain smart contracts is known as Ethereum Improvement Proposal, or EIP, 1884 and is meant to address one downside of Ethereum's steady growth. Oh, God. As the size of the blockchain has increased, oh, you, you, you spelled bloated wrong. Sorry, but bloated is not spelled that way. The computational cost to recall data about the state of the network, such as account balances, has also increased. Gas prices, on the other hand, have stayed stagnant. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Created what Ethereum Foundation security lead Martin Holst Swind calls, quote, an imbalance between the price of an operation and the resource consumption, end quote. In order to mitigate the possibility of overloading the network, EIP 1884 increases the gas price of three resource intensive operations. The so-called slowed operation will face the greatest increase in cost for application developers building on Ethereum, going from 200 gas per operation to 800 gas per operation. This fourfold increase, fourfold increase in slowed gas cost is what breaks Aragon smart contracts and jacks up prices for end users of the Kyber network. In one Kyber transaction, we actually used a lot of slowed operations. So after Istanbul is in effect, the price of most of our transactions will go up by 30%, said Lou. While this is not the first time gas prices have increased for the slowed operation, Lou says previous increases from 50 to 200 gas back in 2016 occurred when there were fewer active users of the Ethereum network and when ETH had a lower market value. Now, Lou says, increasing the cost of slowed operations will have greater ramifications to both end users and application developers. Quote, Istanbul is the kind of hard fork that's going to break a lot of smart contracts. If we weren't following the conversation between core developers, we would have missed EIP 1884 information, and that would have been very bad for us, Lou said. That said, blockchain researcher Mihailo Bjelik, 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 yeah, said Monday that bad developer practices are likely the cause of such hiccups rather than the nature of the upgrade itself, adding, quote, developers should definitely not be hard coding assumptions about gas cost into their applications because these numbers can change at any point. So, yeah, you know, the thing about it is, is that what, you know, what he was saying about um, that it's not necessarily the tech, but bad developer practices, that is just as important as the tech. In my opinion, that shit's just as important as the tech. And if they were doing this 
And they didn't alert all of their stakeholders that, hey, you guys might want to actually put eyes on this uh, to see if you're going to get hosed in any way, shape or form, because this is what's going on. These guys from reading this, it sounds like they were just lucky that they were monitoring the chatter traffic between the developers to catch this shit because none of the developers seem to have reached out to any of these people saying, dude, something's going to change and you're probably going to need to look at it. That's, I'm sorry. That's, that's unacceptable. Stellar wants to remove inflation since it no longer serves its purpose. Uh, William Suberg writing for coin telegraph as of October the 1st. According to the Stellar Development Foundation's blog post published on September the 30th, developers are keen to discard the inflation tool, which they say now offers little functionality to network participants. Per the blog post, the protocol's new incarnation, version 12, should no longer include it with a vote aiming to achieve consensus. The post reads, quote, After listening to what everyone had to say and weighing the pros and cons, here's what the SDF is asking validators to consider. We think it's a good idea to disable the current inflation mechanism. We've implemented a change in version 12 of Stellar Core that would do just that, and we encourage validators to vote to accept it. End quote. Good luck. Network validators will have until October the 28th to install the new version 12, at which point developers will analyze the results. Stellar originally included the inflation tool in order for projects to gain extra funds from community payouts. Since 2014, however, the situation changed and the original plan saw no real-world success because nobody's using it. The SDF adds, quote, five years and several million accounts later, it's clear that inflation doesn't serve this purpose. Rather than sending inflation to projects building on Stellar, the majority of users join pools in order to claim that inflation for themselves if they set their inflation destination at all, end quote. Should the proposal to remove inflation fail, version 13 of the Stellar Protocol, being itself a subject of a community-wide vote, will re-include it. XLM's price, the Stellar token's price, appeared ambivalent to the concept of press time gaining modestly as part of a wider cryptocurrency resurgence on Tuesday. As Cointelegraph reported on September the 9th, Stellar confirmed a $120 million airdrop in conjunction with encrypted messenger key base. All right. <clears throat> Again, I you know, I I, I see this as this is probably going to cause an issue for Stellar, because you know, are they going to install twelve? I mean, how many of these people actually want want inflation? You know, and and when they're saying that they asked everyone, bullshit. You didn't ask every single person. So again, shit coinery is going to get you to places that you never wanted to go to. That's what shitcoinery will get you. Please just stop, right? Uh, as for the Stellar airdrop on my key base, as I've said, be stated before, I immediately, that day, I immediately sent it. it. Or it may have been the next day. I'm not sure. But as, as fast as I could get to my computer and get to my key base, open that son of a bitch up, I found Tor Project Stellar address for donations and immediately donated everything but one Stellar to that, to the, to the tour project. Why did I keep one stellar? Because I had to, I had I could not send, I could not drain my wallet. It's like, no, 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 no. You have to have one stellar in your wallet. So, you know, there's, there's that one. Okay. More Ethereum bad news. Ethereum name service auction exploited to grab Apple domain and it cannot be undone. This is Coindesk William Foxley writing yesterday. The Apple.eth domain has been grabbed with no way to get it back thanks to an exploit of the auction by the Ethereum Naming Service, a domain registration service for the Ethereum network. The auction kicked off on September the 1st and was run by Digital Collectibles Marketplace OpenSea, which disclosed the exploit Monday and published an update on the issue today. Taking full responsibility for the bug, OpenSea said 17 names in total were taken by the hacker, including other notable ones such as DeFi.eth, Wallet.eth, Pay.eth. The bug in the auction software had distributed ENS, 
domains to participants who did not hold the highest bid, according to the post. Further, OpenSea stated, quote, one user discovered an input validation vulnerability that allowed them to place bids on a name that actually issued a different name. God, it gets just worse. Further issues with the auction, auction process affected some 30 domains like bitmex.eth or hodels.eth with bids incorrectly processed. None of these domains were involved in the exploit, however. An alternative web standard to the Internet Domain Service, DNS, or to ask, let me try that again. An alternative web standard to the Internet Domain Service, DNS, ENS operates on the Ethereum blockchain. Unlike DNS, domain names cannot be forcibly retrieved once allocated to a party thanks to the immutability of the ledger the information is stored on. Well unless you have a DAO hack. OpenSea explained, quote, a blessing and a curse of blockchain-based digital assets is that once they have been distributed, it is impossible for them to be revoked. Bullshit. Sorry, that's BS. We saw it with the DAO. Stop it. Just stop it. Ah, continuing, we can't redo the auction for the names that were sold in an invalid fashion, end quote. As such, the firm has asked for the domain names to be returned so they can be re-auctioned. A re- a reward of 25% of the final auction price plus the original bid will be given to the hacker, the blog states. Apple.eth and 16 other hacked domains have been blacklisted by OpenSea. ENS is considering blacklisting the names as well. I'm assuming they meant other names. ENS did not respond to questions from Coindesk by press time. Oh, just a, just an absolute circus. An absolute circus. First, you go around telling us that it can't be undone when we're talking about Ether or the Ethereum network, which it was undone when the DAO hack happened. It resulted in Ethereum Classic. Okay, so this is still on the network. This is something you could probably roll back. The fact that you won't do it is because you're going to catch so much crap for it that it would be untenable. So now you have to beg for it back when you were incompetent in the first place again. Shitcoinery will take you to places that you never imagined you ever wanted to go, and they're not good. Like I wouldn't, I would never imagine that I'm going to go to hell. And if I was a shitcoiner, that's exactly where I'd be right now. Going, how the hell did I get here? Coin Telegraph's Marie Juliet is writing that altcoin platform CoinExchange.io closes for financial reasons. Shitcoinery is going out of style, y'all. In an official announcement on October the 1st, the platform noted that the closure was purely a business decision and is not connected to any security breach or other incidents. CoinExchange.io is currently seeing daily traded volumes of roughly $700,000, according to CoinMarketCap, and supports over 500 altcoins. God, could you imagine? The platform stated, quote, unfortunately, it is no longer economically viable for us to continue continuing offering continue to offer market services. The cost of providing the required level of security and support now outweigh our earnings. Yes, shitcoinery got you to a place that you never imagined you'd go. Trading and deposits on coinexchange.io will be suspended on October the 15th. All traders are also requested to halt any activity as soon as possible. The website and withdrawals will remain operational until December 1st, the deadline by which users are, users are asked to remove all the remaining funds. CoinExchange.io has said that it may return in the future should market conditions change. As Cointelegraph previously reported, CoinOne Global Exchange, a multi-based platform launched by major South Korean exchange CoinOne, has terminated its services in mid-September. Also in September, Thailand's leading cryptocurrency exchange Bitcoin Company Limited had announced that it would not be seeking to hold a digital assets exchange license from securities regulators in 2020 and would therefore halt all trading operations. Again, you're in the realm of pure garbage and it's coming back to bite you in the butt. Now, this one came back to bite uh, EOS in the butt, but it was more like a scratch with like a mouse's pinky finger. Uh, this is from the directly from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. SEC orders blockchain company to pay $24 million, with an M, penalty for unregistered ICO. This was released September the 30th. 
The Securities and Exchange Commission today announced settled charges against blockchain technology company Block One for conducting an unregistered initial coin offering of digital tokens, ICO, that raised the equivalent of several billion dollars, with a B, over approximately one year. The company agreed to settle the charges by paying a $24 million civil penalty. $24 million against $4.2 billion, which is what they raised. Okay. According to the SEC's order, Block One, which has operations in Virginia and Hong Kong, conducted an ICO between June 17th or June 2017 and June 2018. The order finds that Block One stated it would use the capital raised in the ICO for general expenses and also to develop software and promote blockchain blockchains based on that software. Block One's offer and sale of 900 million tokens began shortly before the SEC released the Dow report of investigation and continued for nearly a year after the report's publication, eventually raising several billion dollars worth of digital assets globally, including a portion from U.S. investors. That's going to be kind of important in a sec. Block One did not register its ICO as a securities offering pursuant to the federal securities laws, nor did it qualify for or seek an exemption from the registration requirements. Quote, a number of U.S. investors participated in Block One's ICO, said Stephanie Avicon, co-director of the SEC's Division of Enforcement. Companies that offer or sell securities to U.S. investors must comply with the securities laws irrespective of the industry they operate in or the labels they place on the investment products they offer, end quote. Block One did not provide ICO investors the information they were entitled to as participants in the securities offering, said Stephen Stephen Pelkin, co-director. Was it? Oh, I'm sorry, Pikin, co-director of the SEC's Division of Enforcement. The SEC remains committed to bringing enforcement cases when investors are deprived of material information they need to make informed investment decisions. The SEC's order finds that Block One violated the registration provisions of the federal securities laws and requires it to pay $24 million in civil monetary penalty. Block One consented to the order without admitting or denying its findings. Of course. The investigation was conducted by Luke M. Fitzgerald and Tonavi Lay and was supervised by John O. Enright of the SEC Cyber Unit in New York Regional Office BS. That's like half a percent or less of as a penalty of $4.2 billion. Now, remember what I said to keep in mind. Um, they were saying that a number of U.S. investors participated. First of all, they don't know how many investors in the U.S. participated. Second of all, the 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 stuff that the the chatter I'm hearing on the street is that 24 million may very well be appropriate because only so many U.S. investors invested. The problem is you don't know how many, how many you know that all this is is a cost of doing business for yet another scam coin that is specifically designed to take the money from your wallet and put it into their wallet. Stop doing this. This is, they took in $4.2 billion. Their, their coin is like, has a coin, has a market cap of like 3.7 to 3.8 at this point. It's like a, it's like a, just a complete shit show at this point. It's a loss. It's a bad loss. And then they get this slap on the wrist from the SEC. Now, I don't like being statist. However, in certain situations, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And while Bitcoin is finding cover under all these coins getting shot down, because this isn't this isn't the only one that was done. There were two other announcements over like the last two days of a couple of other people that were settling. I can't remember the name offhand, but one of them did not get a slap on the wrist. One of them is is expected to pay like 187% of what they got back. Now here's my big question. How does the SEC protect invest investors if they just take the money for themselves that they get in these fines? Did they make anybody whole? No. They they sure sure as shit couldn't, you know, do it this way because they don't know how many US investors there were, especially if those people were using Tor or something like that. You know, and and, and a good uh um oh god, uh, uh VPN, you know? No, I there's no way to tell. So I it this is this is this is just weird that somebody who got 4.2 billion 
over a year, and they were doing it after the Dow report of investigation came out from the SEC, and they were still doing it, they get a pittance of of something to pay. And yet this other company has to pay everything back and like 87% on top of that. And it just it's mind-blowing just how bad these guys get their own regulations. Cause as far as as far as I can tell, EOS is a security. It always was a security. It 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 fails the Howey test, or I, I guess depending on how you look at it, it passes the Howey test insofar that it meets all of the three things necessary for the Howey test to say, yeah, this is a security. So, but expect more of this, a lot more of this. This is going to be going on all the time. And the only thing they really can't get to right now is Bitcoin, but they can get to all the rest of these people because they have addresses, they have... Uh, bank accounts. They have a physical location that they can be found in. This this is why we Bitcoin. Moving on. Crypto escrow firm chief charged over alleged $7 million fraud. This is Coindesk's William Foxley writing October the 1st. According to U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York, John Barry Thompson, a Volantis market maker, is accused of committing two counts each of commodities and wire fraud for false claims concerning the acquisition and sale of $7 million worth of Bitcoin. The United States Commodity Futures Trading Commission also leveled civil charges against Thompson on Monday. In a complaint filed earlier this summer, a grand jury alleged that Thompson defrauded two companies out of funds intended for Bitcoin purchases in 2018. At the time, Bitcoin traded for just under $8,000 per coin, according to Statista. Thompson is said to have told both firms that Volantis was was filed as a limited liability company in the state of Delaware, although no records exist of its for that registration. Volantis operated mainly out of Pennsylvania, according to the complaint. One of the fraudulent transactions is claimed to have occurred in June and July of 2018 with Company One giving Thompson $3 million to facilitate tranches of Bitcoin purchases. As described in the complaint, Company One was an over-the-counter trade desk. The complaint states that Thompson sent the funds to a third-party escrow service which never purchased the Bitcoin promised or returned the funds. Thompson repeatedly lied to Company One on the state of the transaction and where the Bitcoin resided, saying, cash is with me, coin is with me. Thompson further claimed there is no risk of default since Volantis controlled both sides of the transaction. Company One neither received the Bitcoin promise nor had its $3 million been returned, according to attorneys, the attorney's office. A similar story had played out earlier that year with Company Two, an Irish investment firm named Symphony. In March of 2018, Thompson entered into a contract with Symphony as a facilitator in a $4 million Bitcoin purchase. Thompson used an undisclosed third party to facilitate the transactions to whom he gave the capital without receiving Bitcoins in return. As with Company One, the deal with Symphony came to a close in July of 2018 with Symphony out of pocket and having received no Bitcoin. Under the state of Pennsylvania's current commodities and wire fraud laws, Thompson could face up to 60 years in prisons for all four counts. Manhattan U.S. Attorney General Jeffrey S. Berman said, quote, As alleged, John Barry Thompson repeatedly lied to investors in cryptocurrencies about the safety of their investments made through his companies. As a result of Thompson lies, investors lost millions of dollars. Not your keys. Not your Bitcoin. Stop engaging with with charlatans. This guy is a charlatan. And how the hell he was able to pass this off can only speak to the general ignorance that is still around in in our industry. Right? The ignorance needs to be cleaned up like trash on streets. How? I don't know. But the more and more people that try to grow the pie as you're growing that pie, sweep up the shit. Okay, because it's going to be a lot easier for these people to trust this thing if they're not constantly being hit by people claiming to buy Bitcoin for them on on their behalf. That statement alone should send you running away. If you can't take the time, 
If you're going to spend $3 million on Bitcoin and you can't take the time to research how to do it, you damn self, you probably don't need to be buying $3 million or $4 million of Bitcoin. That's just my opinion though, but still, yeah. Wash trading plunges by 35% as crypto exchanges start to play fair. Yeah, we shall see. Jimmy Aki writing for Bitcoin Magazine on October the 1st. The Blockchain Transparency Institute, a compliance investigation agency within the cryptocurrency and blockchain space, is reporting that wash trading across cryptocurrency exchanges has drastically diminished. Specifically, according to the recent BTI market surveillance report, global wash trading among the exchanges listed in the Institute's top 40 was reduced by 35.7% since the start of 2019. The practice of wash trading has been a fixture in the global asset market for decades. If they sense low trading volumes, investors can manipulate the market by simultaneously selling and purchasing an asset, thus misleading investors by creating the the illusion of high activity. Wash trading has been a persistent allegation laid against the cryptocurrency space by its critics, with many believing that cryptocurrency exchange operators are in the habit of reporting fake volumes to prop up their trading volumes and manipulate market participants. In March 2019, Bitwise Asset Management criticized cryptocurrency exchanges for reporting fake data volumes in a filing for a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. At the time, the company claimed that up to 95% of volumes reported on unregulated exchanges were either faked or non-economical. Meanwhile, our favorite person, Noriel Rubini, a professor at New York University's Stern Business School and vocal critic of the cryptocurrency space, has written extensively on the drawbacks of cryptocurrency in his book, The Great Crypto Heist. I don't know why they slipped that in there. Come on, Bitcoin Magazine. That doesn't really belong there. That, whatever. Okay, so... Uh, BTI seems to be fairly confident that wash trading among exchanges have been drastically stemmed since the beginning of 2019. Its surveillance report identifies Kraken, Poloniex, Coinbase, and Upbit as the cleanest cryptocurrency exchanges in regard to wash trading since the beginning of 2019. On the flip side, OKX and Buybox were identified as the cryptocurrency exchanges with the highest percentage of wash trading, with fake volumes exceeding 75%. As for individual cryptocurrency assets, live tracking data from BTI showed that 50% of reported Bitcoin trading volumes were fake. Ether, XRP, Litecoin, the largest altcoins by market cap, have wash trading levels of 75%, 55%, and 40, 74% respectively. Of the top 25 cryptocurrencies, Ethereum Classic, Monero, and Dash were found to be the most heavily manipulated with over 80% in wash trading levels for each. Wow. So, yeah, that well, I mean, I guess it's good that the wash trading is going down, but we shall see because you never know what'll happen that will ca- cause them to flip a switch and go, oh, let, let's do let's let's have wash day. We gotta have we gotta have some wash day. All right, let's see, let's do this last one um, because it's important. It's it's part of the Hong Kong thing. Bitcoin volumes in Hong Kong skyrocket via local Bitcoins amid citywide protest and unrest. And that was is written as of this morning. This is coming out of the block. So let's read what they got to say. Hopefully they're going to, you know, not be blocky like they've been. Hong Kong has been a, has seen a sharp increase in Bitcoin volumes in recent weeks as the city reels from protests and unrest. Peer-to-peer exchange local Bitcoins recorded its third highest weekly BTC volume at $1.42 million U.S. or 172.8 BTC in the last week. The highest weekly BTC volume on local Bitcoins was recorded in December of 2017 at $1.53 million, followed by $1.51 million in January 2018. Hong Kong has been witnessing the worst unrest in more than 50 years amid worsening political tensions. Protesters have been rallying since June when the general public started opposing a bill that would have allowed the extradition of those convicted of crimes to mainland China and Taiwan. The bill had been withdrawn, but the protests are still ongoing. So yeah, and it's got your, you know, the it shows a picture of the obligatory week, weekly local Bitcoin volume chart that is given by local Bitcoins. And it is quite the spike. It had been kind of dropping. I mean, it's like, for the most part, half of it is under half a half a million dollars U.S. And then you get this giant spike to damn near one point five million. I mean, it's just it's like wow! It just all of a sudden exploded. So anyway, Hong Kong, uh, uh, God, prayers go out to you guys. I'm, I'm hoping that you can stay safe. One guy's already been shot. 
And I saw a report this morning of a journalist losing her her eye, seems to be a theme, due to a rubber bullet. So she's permanently blinded in that eye now um, for being a journalist out on the street. And so hopefully Bitcoin can fix this. I don't know, man. This is a pretty, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by bitinfocharts.com, mempool.space, and 1ML, uh, respectively. Let's get through the prices here. Bitcoin is at 8241 It looks like the high is over at Coinbase Pro at $8,241.74. Uh, looks like the low is going to be over at HitBTC at 8231 <clears throat> 350,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours with an average transaction number per hour being around 15,000. 1.03 million BTC have been sent over that last uh, 24 hours with 42, let's call it 43 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 3.01 BTC and the median transaction value is 0. 034 BTC or right around 282 bucks. Block time is low <clears throat> at nine minutes, 10 seconds. We have two, oh, sorry, 0.27 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 42.7 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had an increase of 12% in hash rate, bringing us back over 90 to 93.5 exahashes per second. The last commit to the GitHub uh, co uh, code base was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 176. Bcash is at 223. Litecoin is at 5550. Bitcoin S or God, sorry guys. BSV is at 8350. Ethereum Classic is at four and yeah, four dollars and sixty cents. Dogecoin is at 0.0024, and it's Dogecoin is beating Litecoin in the last. Ooh, oh well, hell, that's interesting. Dogecoin at 23,995 is beating Litecoin transactions over the last 24 hours at 22,000, but smoking Bcash, who only has 17,166 transactions in the last 24 hours. Oh, God, you poor guys. Try not to deal with, with this with this level of crap because it's just, you know, shitcoinery is just, like I said, it's going to take you to places you never wanted to go. We are not, we are shallow in the mempool right now, folks. We have, we are one block deep and only 3,000 transactions. So there's some slowdown going on, even though we've got uh, like increased hash rate. Um, oh, there we go. Now we're two blocks deep. And yeah, so it's this coming online. All the blocks that have been processed that I can see on my screen over the, the uh, blocks that have already been minted. They're all above one megabyte, so I'm not seeing any. I'm not seeing any weirdness there. Uh, usually, I would expect to see a couple of blocks with uh, no transactions because you know some miners are like that for whatever reason. So let's look at Lightning. Uh, the new nodes in the last 24 hours has increased 40 percent, giving us seven brand new brand new nodes online. Over the last seven days, 43 nodes have come online, and over the last 30 days, 286 have come online. The number of new channels that have been coming online in the last 24 hours is also up, this time by about 20.5%. We have 118 brand new channels, and in the last seven days, we've had almost 800 new channels, and over the last 30 days, we've had almost 5,000 channels. Number of nodes, we are still sitting above 10,000 at 10,000 and 38, and that's going to do it for your vitals. I know some of you guys are going to hate me for this, but we're going to do some dream theater. <laughs> I know. I know. If you don't know who Dream Theater is, there's a group of guys for, that got together when they were all at Berkeley School of Music 
And um, a lot of bands formed this way. They all dropped out before they got their degrees at Berkeley. I had a, I had a buddy that got his degree at Berkeley school of music and it was, it was fascinating listening to him talk, you know, like I think he took a class from uh, the guitarist of Boston, Tom Scholes about engineering and uh, outboard gear because Tom Scholes was a, he was an electrical engineer. If you didn't know that. And he built all manner all manner of electronic devices, which is what resulted in Boston's unique sound. But be that as it may, he came back with all kinds of stories about Berkeley and all these weird bands that were forming. Well, Dream Theater was one of those bands. They're a progressive uh, rock band. So they're grouped in with like things like Rush and some of the other, st- yes, some of the other bands that I like. But they're really good. I mean, I, I, I can't just, you know, I can't go along with the other people who go, oh, you know, roll their eyes, Dream Theater. Oh, my God. I'm like, have you heard them play? Because they're actually pretty damn good. Now, as far as, is it the best music in the world? No, I've got like one of their albums and um, this is where, where this particular tune comes off of. But it's, I don't, it's pretty, pretty decent, pretty decent cut, man. So let's spin it up with Dream Theater.
Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by a gentleman by the name of Jorge Stolfi, at Jorge Stolfi on Twitter. He's replying to something Hearn said. He says, by the way, you cannot send BTC through the internet. They don't exist. Not even in the sense that a digital image exists. There is only a ledger that says, quote, end coins are assigned to address X, end quote. Doesn't even say which coins. You can only ask miners to change X to Y. All right, so where is this coming from? All right, so Hearns at H-E-R-N-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. He just puts it out there. I wish I had a sat for every time this guy tried to FUD Bitcoin for the last six years. That's a retweet, and he's retweeting Jorge Stolfi, which is probably what caught Jorge's attentions, because he had tweeted on April the 16th, all the way back in 2013, he's been doing this shit. He says, economists were dead right about Bitcoin Cash in their after-the-fact predictions, of course, and then he gives a link to a a businessinsider.com article, which I'm not going to read. So uh, Jorge writes back to Hearns and says, I wish I had a penny for every thousand dollars that Bitcoin believers lost so far. Hearns, not to be outdone, writes back and says, I'll send you a penny's worth of Beanie Babies via the internet. Oh, wait, that won't work. How about a penny's worth of a lottery ticket? And that's when Jorge spilled his, his guts on the train tracks and became today's daily train wrecked. Because this is just ridiculous. I mean, the the fundamental misunderstanding by this gentleman on at least two major issues when it comes to Bitcoin, the, you can't ask miners. To, that That's ridiculous. The whole thought that miners do anything but mint blocks is ludicrous, okay? The fact, like, it doesn't even say which coins. A, that's not true. B, that's kind of what we want. That would be more fungible. You know, it's, I've sent BTC over the internet for the entire time that I've been sending BTC because I can only send it over the internet. I don't have a handful of open dimes. If I had a handful of open dimes, I could load them with BTC and I could physically hand it to somebody who can then verify the amount of BTC that that key represents. Cause I'm not really passing them Bitcoin. I'm passing them a key. But that key is associated with coins. I also don't have access to doing this shit through the satellite, you know, through Blockstream satellite. But at what point or at one point or another, this shit's going to hit the internet. You know, whether it's like whether that's the if the internet's the last mile, then it's still the last mile. It has to get the transactions have to get mined, you know, validated and then put in a block, and then that block has to get mined. Saying that you cannot send BTC through the internet because they don't exist like a digital image doesn't exist is wrong in so many ways. And why is this important to understand? Because this guy is a computer science professor at the State University of Campinas, which is, from what I understand, down there in Brazil, in Campinas, Brazil. University... Full, full-blown professor of computer science doesn't understand the fundamentals of how this shit works. So watch out for people like this because ignorance is everywhere. You know, it's a new industry. It's only 10, 11 years old. People are going to get things wrong all the time. And I just noticed I'm not following Hearns. Oh, my God. How does that? Sorry, Hearns. Rectified. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile in the corner. Terrible Joke Corners brought to you as usual by Dad Says Jokes at Dad Says Jokes on Twitter. Every morning at breakfast, I tell my family that I'm going for a jog and then I don't. It's my longest running joke of the year. A joke so bad it's good. And that's a good one. I like that one. This Dad Says Jokes thing is is amazing. It's it just, they're so terrible. But they're really inventive. This one's pretty inventive. I mean, it's like, 
it's very subtle in the way that it presents what the punchline is. It's, it, it provides its own context and then goes ahead and delivers a punchline that is sort of kind of depends on the context, but not in the way that you would normally. So it, it sort of jogs your brain. So that, and I really appreciate jokes like that because God, it, you know, it probably takes so much thought to actually construct those. Anyway, there's your, uh, there's your, uh, terrible joke corner. We're just going to go ahead and get on out. Um, it is Wednesday, so it's hump day. Um, we've got, you know, clearly we've got weird shit going on all over the place with the markets. We've got FUD. We've got the SEC looks looking like they're opening up their cannons. I expect way more of this uh, SEC action to be taking place over the, from now until like, I don't know, for the next five years minimum and probably beyond that. But keep in mind when you read this, there's that two things are going on. One, the SEC doesn't, doesn't appear to they want to have any teeth and maybe they don't want to have any teeth because maybe they're looking at, at all the altcoins and, and ICOs and the scam coins of which they all are, maybe they're looking at that as something that they can, they can use to take down Bitcoin instead of having to go after it itself because you kind of can't. And if it, in an asymmetric warfare state, you're going to use whatever it is, whatever tools are available to be able to destroy what you perceive as your enemy, especially when your enemy is like nowhere to be found like Bitcoin. Okay. All these other people can be found. And by, slapping them on the wrist a couple of times, you know, and then letting them go to continue to scam people. Uh, maybe it's their way of trying to look like they're doing something so they don't get in trouble and yet not doing enough that it cripples the competition, you know, that, that the perceived competition for Bitcoin, cause there is no competition, but there's perceived, it can be perceived that way in either event. Keep that in mind as you hear about this garbage coming down the pike, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.